you please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. You pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, may your word go forth this morning in power, in the power of your spirit, and may we see Christ through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Kevin D. Young, in his excellent book, Taking God at His Word, which I highly recommend to you, tells uh, the story of an article that was published in Christianity Today several years ago. The article is entitled, My Conversation with God. Here's what the article says. Does God still speak? I grew up hearing testimonies about it, but until October 2005, I couldn't say it had ever happened to me. I'm a middle-aged professor of theology at a well-known Christian university. I've written award-winning books. My name is on Christianity Today's masthead. For years, I've taught that God still speaks, but I couldn't testify to it personally. I can only do so now anonymously for reasons I hope will be clear. A year after hearing God's voice, I still can't talk or even think about my conversation with God without being overcome by emotion. And then this anonymous professor goes on to talk about an experience where God supernaturally gave him a book outline and a book title, and then told him once he writes this book to use the money from the book to help a young man go to school. And he finishes the article saying how his faith was strengthened to finally have God personally speak to him. The article raises a good and important question. Does God still speak personally, directly to us, his people? And we could talk about a number of things with that article, but I think what the article misses, first and foremost, is God's direct, life-giving word to us in the Bible. And more so, he misses the most life-giving, powerful way that we hear God's voice, that we experience God's power, that we see God's face. And that is the preaching of God's Word. Friends, as we continue this series and continue rediscovering church together, we come this morning to that which is central to a true church, according to the scriptures, and that is the right preaching of God's word. We defined a local church uh, earlier in the series as a congregation of baptized believers in the Lord Jesus who are in a covenant relationship to gather together regularly, and the first qualifier we said was under the right preaching of God's word. In fact, this is what sets apart biblical Christianity from all other forms of Christianity. In the Protestant Reformation, the Protestant reformers who brought us back to the gospel of saving faith through Christ alone, who brought us back to the Bible, said that the primary mark of a true church, in contrast to the Roman Catholic Church that they were debating at the time, the primary mark of a true church is the right preaching of God's Word. And my hope this morning is as we look at what the scriptures say about preaching, that our hearts would be gripped with a love for the preaching of God's word and a commitment to see it at the center of our lives and of our church. So the question, why is preaching central, is one that I hope to answer from the scriptures. Why is preaching central? And we're going to look at three reasons that preaching must be central in our lives and in Christ's church. First, preaching is central because in it we receive the Spirit's sufficient word. 
in preaching, we receive the Holy Spirit's sufficient word. Look at verses 1 to 2 of 2 Timothy 4 there. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. If you're familiar with 2 Timothy, then you know the context of this book of Scripture. This is Paul's final manifesto. The Apostle Paul, who was commissioned by our Lord Jesus Christ himself to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations. Paul, who has written most of our New Testament, his life was coming to an end. And he's handing over a charge to the next generation, to Timothy, who is the next generation, who's a pastor, a local church pastor, and for the next generations after Timothy, for generations to come till Christ returns, Paul is giving his famous last words, this final charge. He's saying, here's what I want to leave you with. And and look at the solemnity with which he speaks, verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God, And of Christ. In light of the fact that Jesus' role is one of judge of the living and the dead, that he's coming in judgment one day, in light of his lordship, his kingship, in light of his return, do this, Timothy, and every pastor after you, preach the word. This is not just one of the many things that you must do. This is what you must do. This is not just a part of your ministry. This is your ministry. This is the heart of your pastoral ministry among God's people. Preach the word. What must Timothy preach? What must we preach? We must preach the word. You know, preachers are like the Talabat guys. Ever ordered from Talabat? You know, when the Talabat guy comes to your door, rings the doorbell, I love that sound. Oh, here he is. Go open the door. What does he do? He opens his bag. You take out your bag and give it to you. Imagine if you open the door and then the Taliban guy says, Good afternoon, sir. Opens up the bag, takes out your food, opens it up, starts putting some salt in it, starts putting some pepper in it, some hot sauce. I just thought I want to improve your meal for you a little bit. Say, no way. Take it back. Well, That's what preachers are not supposed to do. We don't add to God's word. We don't make up our own ideals. We don't mix up God's word with whatever we want. We deliver God's word as it has been delivered to us. That's our fundamental duty. We preach the word. This is the content of our preaching. This is why at ECC, the primary diet of this church is expository preaching. Or expositional preaching. Expository preaching is where we move through consecutive books of the Bible, consecutive passages of Scripture, week after week, opening up the text and letting the text speak. So that the main point of what is said in every text is the main point of the sermon each week. We don't make up our own agenda or our own ideas. Sometimes it means that we're going through a passage of Scripture and I don't even know what I'm going to say. Until I've worked through the passage that week. Sometimes it's, it's going to bend us and challenge us in ways that we didn't imagine. Sometimes we have to preach passages of scripture that make even the preacher uncomfortable. But we must be found faithful to preach it. Of course, this series, here I am talking about expository preaching in the middle of a topical series. Sometimes it's useful for the church to be helped and grown through a topical series. But even then, it's the Bible that sets the agenda. It's not the preacher's own ideas about a topic. No, we come to the Bible, and we look at what the whole Bible says about any given subject, and then we bring that to bear on you. We must preach the Word. How must we preach the Word? Well, look at what Paul says to Timothy there in verse 2. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
Be ready, Timothy. Be always prepared. Have your mind fixated on this. Have your heart focused on this. Give your energy to this. Always be prepared. Be ready. Focus on this. Not just in season when things are going well and the church is thriving and when things are going easy, but even out of season when it's hard, when there's opposition, when there's criticism, when there are challenges, when people are going astray. No matter what the circumstances, preach the word. And then he says, reprove, rebuke, which means Timothy, brother pastor, correct false understandings, confront sinful behavior. Don't just give information. Don't just try and give an engaging talk, but bring a confrontation and a correction with God's truth. Bring people, God's sheep, those who are straying, bring them back from their wandering. Bring them to repentance. Not only do we correct and confront with God's word and bring people back to God's fold, we also push the sheep forward. Did you see the next term there? Exhort. Exhort. Which means to prod to encourage, to urge, to move people to faith and obedience and godly living and growth. And then Paul says, do this with complete patience. Be persistent, brother. Recognize that it takes time. Recognize that one sermon is not going to do all the work. Be consistent. Keep preaching, keep waiting, keep praying, and watch as God's word does God's work. And he says, with complete patience and teaching, and with teaching. That means everything that the preacher commands, every time we call God's people to faith and obedience, everything that we urge must be rooted and grounded in the text of Scripture and in the sound doctrine of God's word. You know, one time uh, there was a Sunday school class and people were asking, what is the difference between teaching and preaching? And this older brother in his 70s or 80s, you know, he, he put his hand up and he said, one's just a little bit harder. Right? Very true. Preaching encompasses teaching. Teaching must be a part of preaching. That what Paul, that's what Paul says here. Preach the word with complete patience and teaching. That means we should teach the meaning of the text. But it doesn't stop there. We must urge. Good preaching urges a response. Good preaching speaks to the heart and does some heart surgery. Good preaching makes some cuts. Good preaching goes into the affections of your being and calls you to respond to God with feeling. It's not just transfer of information. It's not just commentary on the text, but it is the truth of God's word brought to bear on your life, on the church's life, on our life together. And it is accompanied by the preacher's own example. Look at verse 5 there. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As you read 2 Timothy, as you read 1 Timothy, you'll see this constant emphasis that Timothy's life and example must validate the word that he preaches. They both go together. And this is why, dear friends, that it is so important that you... Give yourself to hear the preaching of God's word in the context of a covenant community, in the context of membership in a local church. This is why preaching in the context of the local church is something utterly different from listening to sermons online. Now, we live in an age where we have unlimited access to a great many preachers and teachers and excellent preaching and resources you can listen to some of the finest preachers in the world at the click of a button. And that, that will help you and that will be a blessing to you. But we need and we are commanded in Scripture to give ourselves to the regular preaching of God's Word at our own local church. Because no matter how good 
whatever preacher is that you listen to, whether that's John Piper or Sinclair Ferguson or anyone else, here's what I can guarantee. They don't know you. They don't know your name. They don't pray for you by name. And you can't watch their life week after week, every day. You, you can't know them at that level. And their example is not perpetually before you. They don't know where you need to be corrected, where you need to be confronted. They don't know where you need to be rebuked, where you need to grow, where you need to be comforted, how you need to be encouraged and exhorted and instructed. God appoints specific pastors in specific local churches to do that. And the work doesn't just end with the pastor and with the preaching here that comes forth on a Sunday morning. No, the way that it is supposed to work in the life of the church is like the Gangotri Glacier. If you've heard of the Gangotri Glacier in India, it is the largest glacier in South Asia. And then the waters that flow from that glacier branch out into several rivers that bring water all across the nation of India. That's how the word is to work here. The word goes forth from the pulpit enters your hearts and lives, you receive and respond to God's word, and then you channel that word into each other's lives. You see, the, the verbs that Paul uses here when he says in verse 2, preach the word, that verb for preach is regularly used in the New Testament to speak about what appointed messengers do, what pastors and missionaries do. But then the rest of the verbs here, reprove, rebuke, exhort, teach, instruct, admonish, these verbs are used throughout the New Testament to describe the word ministry of all believers in the life of the local church to one another. And so there's a three-step process. God's word is preached by the preacher to the whole church, number one. Then God's people receive God's word and respond to God in faith and obedience, number two. But then God's people teach and admonish one another with the word that you have received from God. That's how preaching must work in the life of the church. But why? Why must the word be preached? Why is Paul placing such emphasis for Timothy, for pastors in generations to come, saying, preach the word? Well, first, it's because of itching years. Itching years. Did you see verse 3? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Ever had like, you know, some kind of a mild itch where in a place that you can't reach to scratch, sometimes, you know, I get the spot in my back and it starts itching and then I don't know what to do, I can't reach there and I'll ask one of my daughters, Eliana Petrak, scratch daddy's back. And, and then they finally do, and it's like, oh, I feel so relieved, right? Sometimes people in churches have itchy years that they want to be scratched. Now, I don't mean by that that your ears, physical ears, are literally itching. No, it means sometimes we want to hear what we want to hear. You see, all of us have sinful desires, all of us have sinful impulses. And what we want at times is someone who will preach in such a way so as to give approval and affirmation to those sinful desires, sinful impulses. That makes us comfortable. We'd rather be comfortable than confronted. This is why a lot of guys, a lot of people will seek out as their preacher, a nice guy who will tell you what you want to hear, not confront the issues that you have. We seek out teachers who will teach false doctrine. Many people do this. They seek out preachers who will teach false doctrine that will make you happy rather than the truth of God's word, sound doctrine that will make you holy. This is all over evangelicalism. People don't want calls to holiness and obedience no, I want someone who will affirm me and approve what I do and let me go home feeling comfortable, even in my sin, and happy 
We don't want preachers who will talk about suffering and the call to take up our cross and follow Christ and how God in His sovereignty uses suffering in our lives to purify us. No, everybody wants preachers who talk about blessing and health and riches and breakthroughs and getting an anointing. And so they go seek out the false teachers of the health, wealth, and prosperity so-called gospel. People don't want calls to commitment to the body of Christ, calls to church membership, calls to serve one another. No, instead we want fun and entertainment. We don't want commitment, we want entertainment. We're consumers. And so they seek out preachers who will never address those issues. And we seek out the so-called online church. People find teachers who will scratch that itch. May it not be so with us, brothers and sisters. I'm not here to scratch itches. See what Paul says to Timothy? He says, in, in the midst of all of this, because of this, because of the pressure that's there, because of the resistance that's there, because of the temptations that are there, Timothy, this is what you must do in response to all of this. Preach the word. And friends, ensuring that the word of God is preached faithfully here is not just the responsibility of the pastor. It's not just uh, the responsibility of the team of elders. Fundamentally and foremost, it is your responsibility. These people are held responsible for finding for themselves the wrong kinds of teachers. You, brothers and sisters, the members of ECC, are responsible to guard the preaching of God's word in this congregation. That means you must know your Bibles. This is why in our church covenant, the first statement we say is this, we will live together under the supreme authority of the triune God as revealed in the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, we say statement number three, we will work together by the Holy Spirit's power to promote a faithful gospel ministry in this church. That is our responsibility. You know, I love the story of uh, my predecessor's predecessor, Pastor Cam Aronson, who was here for 25 years, two and a half decades, preaching God's word. He told me his first sermon way back in 1990 was a commitment and a resolve that he might fail or fall short in, in various other ways, fail people's expectations, but his commitment to the congregation was that he would preach God's word. And he did that faithfully for 25 years. Maybe you don't know, Pastor Cam, maybe you don't know this. When he retired after 25 years of preaching here, uh, the board, the leadership of the church at the time, you know, sought input from the congregation, feedback, what should we look for in the next pastor? And the overwhelming, absolutely clear response from everybody, from all of these, you might imagine in a church so diverse, people have many different ideas about what to look for in a pastor. The overwhelming response was this. We want someone who will preach the word expositionally. Praise God. Praise God. May it always be that way. And, and, and then Pastor Cam handed down this baton with three words on it, preach the word and I received that from my predecessor, Pastor Jeremy Rini. And that baton is really passed down to the church, brothers and sisters. I don't know how many years the Lord gives me. I might die tonight. When choosing a lead pastor, the foremost consideration is not that you're looking for some guy with big, audacious vision. You're not looking for the guy who's going to win a personality contest and be your friendly neighborhood pastor, what you are looking for preeminently is one who is a theologian who will study the scriptures in the original languages in Greek and Hebrew, who will preach the word and whose life will validate the ministry of that word. I want to say to you, when you go from here, right, we're all expats passing through, when you go from here and move to a new place and you're looking for a church and seeking to choose a church, the first consideration that you must have is, is this church marked by the faithful preaching of God's word? The word must be preached because of itching ears. The word must also be preached because of scripture's sufficiency. 
Did you see what Paul says before the charge in verses 15 to 17 of chapter 3? He says, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Verse 16 there is powerful. Did you catch that? All scripture is breathed out by God. The Holy Spirit of God himself, the Spirit of God breathed out these words. And gave them to us. As men wrote the Bible, the Spirit of God worked throughout the process to ensure that their words written down for us correspond exactly to God's words. You know, one time somebody asked me, Pastor, you seem seems like you plan all your sermons ahead of time. You are doing a lot of work preparing your sermons ahead of time. How do you leave room for the Holy Spirit? To work, How is it that the Spirit works through all of this planning? And I said, well, I trust that I'm preaching the words that the Spirit gave. And so I'm confident that He's working. This word is profitable. Did you catch that verse 16? Profitable for teaching. Profitable for reproof. It is sufficient effective enough to accomplish all God's purposes. You think about what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, another passage that you should read on Scripture. He talks about this incident when he and James and John were up on the mountain, Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. He says, we saw the glory of Jesus. Jesus' face was transfigured, shining like the sun before them. They heard the divine voice, the voice of God the Father himself speaking, saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And Peter says, you have something more sure, something more certain than that. And you need to pay attention to what you have. And he's speaking of Scripture. Till Jesus returns, pay attention to the Bible. The Bible is powerful, able to make you wise for salvation. Did you look at that? Verse 15. Be acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I want to speak to the kids who are here this morning. Kids, are you wondering, how can I be saved? How can I become a Christian? How can I know God? Well, it begins with this, dear children. Acquaint yourself with the Bible. Read your Bible. Know the Bible. Pay attention in your children's classes. Pay attention as mommy and daddy teach the Bible at home. Pay attention as the word of God is preached. And I guarantee you this Bible is able to make you wise for salvation. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to tell you that scripture, what is being preached today, can make you wise for salvation, can save you from your sins. You see, all of scripture tells one story that God, our creator, is holy. He created us for His glory, but we are sinners who have sinned and rebelled against Him. We deserve judgment and condemnation for our sin. And nothing you can do can save you from your sin. Not good works, not coming to church and showing up here, not anything that you can do. But God in His mercy and His love has sent His own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, shed his blood, took upon himself the judgment that we deserve so that whoever turns from sin and trusts in him is made wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We receive the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life through him. If you're here, dear non-Christian friend, we want you to receive that salvation today that you would turn to Christ and be saved Scripture is not only enough to make us wise for salvation from unbelief. No, it works in believers. Did you see verse 16? It is sufficient for all believers, for teaching, he tells Timothy, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, Pastor Timothy, what do you need to be successful in ministry, to be equipped for every good work in ministry? What do you need to be prepared? Here's what you need. You have all that you need. And if the word of God is sufficient to make the pastor complete for every good work, 
prepared for every good work. Of course, it's more than enough to make God's people complete and equipped for every good work. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, brother Timothy, preach it. Preach God's word. And you will present God's people as mature, as complete, as a bride ready for her bridegroom on that last day. Friends, what we have here in God's Word, breathed out by the Spirit of God Himself, the Spirit of God who empowers the preaching of God's Word, is powerful, is sufficient, is more than enough to enable you to trust God, to obey God in every good work, more than enough to build God's church. We don't need some kind of a special rhema word. You don't need some kind of a feeling or impression. You don't need some kind of a special unfathomable experience. It's right here in God's Word, and this is able to grow you and me into Christ-like maturity until we stand before Jesus one day. That's the first reason why preaching is central. Because in preaching, we receive the Spirit's sufficient Word. But there's even more that happens in preaching, and sometimes we don't realize this. There's something amazing incredible that takes place as God's people gather and the Bible is open and God's word is preached. Remember we began today with talking with someone about someone who said he wanted to hear the voice of God. And you know that person didn't realize that God speaks to us personally clearly in the Bible. But I submit that he also didn't realize that God speaks especially preeminently when the Bible is faithfully preached that in the faithful preaching of the Word of God, God's people, all of us, hear the voice of our divine shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second reason why preaching must be central. Preaching is central because in preaching, we hear the shepherd's voice. You're wondering, where's that? I'm going to show you. John chapter 10 Verses 27 and 28, Jesus says, speaking of himself as the good shepherd, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. They shall never perish. In the same passage, in chapter 10 and verse 16, he says, other sheep also I have, and they also must hear my voice. He's speaking there of the Gentiles. But you see, Jesus never preached. He never had a preaching ministry to the Gentiles. His ministry was limited uh, to the children of Israel primarily. There's a few Gentiles who heard. When he's speaking of the other sheep who must hear his voice, he's talking about all of us, the church throughout the ages, across the nations. How do they hear his voice? Well, think about Romans chapter 10. And what Paul says in Romans chapter 10 concerning the missionary charge and how the gospel goes forth. He says in Romans 10, 13 and following, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how they, are they to believe him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And you're listening to what I just said. I just said, how are they to believe him whom they have never heard? You're wondering, oh, pastor, did you leave out a word there? Did you leave out the off, of whom they have never heard? I will say, well, pay attention. Look at the footnotes in your ESV Bible. The footnote in your ESV Bible will say, how are they to believe him whom they have never heard? And if you look at older translations, the NASB or even the King James, you'll see that the best translation of this verse, and most scholars would agree, is how are they to believe him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to believe Jesus whom they have never heard? How do they hear him? How do we hear his voice when someone preaches? Okay, still don't believe me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. These are Gentile believers. Second generation Gentile believers, they never met Jesus. They never heard his voice. You know what he says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17? He says, Jesus came and he preached peace to you 
who were far away and peace to those who were near. These believers who never met the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is telling them, Jesus preached peace to you who were far away. They heard him. Chapter 4, verse 21, he says, assuming that you heard him. How did they hear him? Where did they hear Jesus preaching? As the word of God was preached in their midst, brothers and sisters. And the implications of this are staggering. We hear the divine voice of our shepherd calling us to faith and obedience through the preached word. And that means preachers speak for God when they preach the Bible faithfully and accurately. As preachers open the Bible and declare its message, they have authority, we have authority to speak for God with His authority, God's own authority, Christ's lordship, His divine authority is exercised when His word is is preached and His voice is heard. No one else can do this in the world. Politicians cannot speak for God, no matter how impassioned their speeches may be. Professors in universities, scholars of whatever field do not speak for God. Philosophers do not speak for God. Celebrities, social media influencers, they do not speak for God. Preachers speak for God with His own authority. As ambassadors of Christ, God Himself making His appeal through us be reconciled to God. And in preaching, we hear the authoritative voice of our shepherd, the Son of God himself. Think about how God's voice and God's word works throughout the Bible. In the beginning, there was nothing, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. God spoke, and all of creation came into being. At Mount Sinai, in thunder and lightning, As the people gathered with fear and trembling, God spoke and constituted His people, the nation of Israel. All through the Bible, as the prophets speak, God speaks, thus says the Lord. And then the prophet Ezekiel is placed in a valley of dry bones. And God says to him, prophesy, son of man, prophesy. And he begins to speak God's word. And those bones arise, and they're covered with flesh, and they're filled with breath, and they come to life. And then we see God's word continue to speak as Jesus walks up to the tomb of a dead man and says, Lazarus, come forth. And out comes the dead man, living and alive. And one day you'll hear that voice. You'll hear that voice call your name. He is the good shepherd whose sheep hear his voice. Think about Jesus speaking as the word of God came into your life, dear Christian, when you were in darkness, dead in your trespasses and sins, with no hope and no God in the world, and someone preached to you and God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. If you have never heard his voice, I want to call you, dear friend, to hear the voice of the Son of God speaking to you from the Scriptures today, to hear the risen Christ summoning you to faith in him, and that you would turn from your darkness and put your faith in this Savior. Kids, you're going to hear a great many voices in this world as you grow up, as you face the struggles of life. The most important voice that you need to pay attention to is the voice of our chief shepherd, Jesus, who cares not just about the older sheep in the church. He also cares about the little lambs. And he speaks to you through the preaching of his word and calls you to come to him. God always calls, summons, creates his people by his word. And so his word, his word preached, must be the center of our gatherings must shape everything that we do, must be central to our life together as a church and central to our lives as Christians. This might be shocking for you to hear your pastor say this, but I would say your attention to the preached word of God and the work of God's word preached in your life, biblically in the New Testament, takes precedence even over your private devotions. It's great to have everyday devotions. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. And God speaks to us as we read our Bibles, as individuals. He speaks to us through excellent resources online. But He uniquely speaks to us and is appointed to speak to us together, addressing us as His people when we gather in His presence and hear His word. So that means, what should you do? What should your response be? Prioritize this gathering. Get a good night's rest. 
that Netflix show can wait for the next day or a few days later. Get a good night's rest so that you're fresh. Read the passage or the passages under consideration ahead of time. Think through the text before you come. Pay attention when the word is being preached. Don't check your WhatsApps or messages or look here and there. And then speak about the sermon to others. I I want to challenge you today. After the service, go up to someone, like Pastor Christian said last week, and say, hi, are you a member of this church? And say, what did you learn from the sermon today? How did God speak to you or challenge you today? God spoke to me in this way. And then most importantly, most important, goes without saying, doesn't it? Pray. Pray, 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 brothers and sisters. Pray for your preachers. Pray for the regular preaching of the word in this church. That we would hear the divine voice with power, by the Spirit's power. Pray for yourselves. That God would work in your hearts. That God would give you ears to hear. Pray that the preacher would be faithful in representing Christ. And that we would have ears to hear our chief shepherd. I love, you know, Charles Spurgeon who preached to tens of thousands in England. The great Baptist preacher. Someone, when he was visiting the USA, someone once asked him. They said, I've long wished to see you, Mr. Spurgeon. And to put one or two simple questions to you. In our country, there are many opinions as to the secret of your great influence. Would you be good enough to give me your own point of view? Spurgeon was silent for a moment, and then he said, My people, pray for me. Would you pray for us? You know, we're constantly under pressure, right? We're constantly told, Oh, pastor, this is a visual age. People need media and visuals and video, and that's edifying to their faith, and you need to incorporate some of those things. Friends, it's always been a visual age. Ever since the garden, when Eve saw what the fruit was and that it was good, instead of hearing God's word. This is why, I'll be honest with you, and this might shock some of you, I say this graciously, the preaching of God's word is going to help your faith even more than the chosen. All right? Watching the chosen it may be a great, well-produced show, but actually might lead you to distort your reading of the Bible and to imagine things that are not really there as you read the Scriptures. But as God's Word is preached, faith comes by, remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. One day, dear friends, one day, our faith will become sight and we will see our God face to face, full of glory, but until then, God has appointed the proclamation of His Word and the hearing of God's Word as the primary means for us to live by faith. But, there is a kind of seeing and beholding. There is a kind of sight that we experience even now that prepares us for the day when we will see the face of God in all His glory. This is an experience of sight that is not through our physical eyes, but takes place spiritually with the eyes of faith. That even now, as Christ is proclaimed from the scriptures, we see him. We behold him in all his beauty and glory and magnificence shining out of the pages of scripture into our hearts. Just to clarify, I'm not talking about, you know, as as I'm preaching, that somehow you're visualizing some image of Christ in your mind. That's not what I'm speaking of. What the scriptures speak of, and it speaks of that kind of sight, is that in the act of preaching, the preacher and the hearers together grasp by faith a reality that exists beyond this earthly world, and together we gaze upon the glory that shines from that heavenly reality, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's our third and final reason why preaching must be central. Preaching must be central because in it we receive the Spirit's sufficient word. In preaching we hear the shepherd's divine voice and finally in preaching we see the Son's glorious face. This is also in the New Testament, right? Think about the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. Paul is speaking to the Galatian uh, Christians who are tempted to go away from the gospel. And he says, oh foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Before your eyes, Christ Jesus was displayed as crucified. The Galatians never 
saw Jesus. They weren't at the cross when he was crucified. How did they see him crucified? Through the preached word. I love Paul emphasizes this in the passage that was read for us earlier that our sister Jenilyn read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4, chapter 4. He's speaking there of the contrast between the old covenant ministry, right, of Moses on tablets of stone and the new covenant ministry, the ministry of the Spirit. And when he's speaking of the ministry of the Spirit... Here's the contrast he makes. Verse 14, he says, Their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But then he says, verse 16, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and, and people take that verse 17 and make all kinds of things. That means we must dance and do cartwheels and all of that. The, the, the freedom that he's referring to is freedom to see what you don't see. Because look what verse 18 says. We all with unveiled face, the Spirit has taken away the veil, and with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what is the Spirit's work? What is His ministry there? What is His primary ministry in the New Covenant? He causes us with unveiled face to behold, to see the glory of Christ, and we are transformed more and more to be like Christ from one degree of glory to another. He says this again in verse 6 He says uh, of chapter 4. He says, God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the case of unbelievers, he says, chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this world has blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. How do we see? What is this ministry that the Spirit is doing? Well, notice what Paul says right there in the passage. Chapter 4, verse 2, we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Notice what he says in verse 5. How, how does this light shining, beholding of the glory of Christ take place? He says, verse 5, what we proclaim, what we preach, same word that we see in 2 Timothy 4. Preach the word. What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant, for Jesus' sake. That means, brothers and sisters, when the word of God is preached, you see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. We see Him. We see Him. We see the word who was in the beginning God and who was with God, the one who through whom all things were made. We see the new and better Adam, the one who is our perfect representative, who has obeyed in every way where Adam once failed. We see the promised offspring of the woman, the one who has come and has crushed the serpent's head and fulfilled God's promises. We see the ark of God's safety that protects us from the flood of God's judgment we see him as the promised offspring of Abraham, the one who has come and has brought blessing to the nations and who will lead us into the heavenly city. We see him as the new and better Joseph, the one whose suffering and descent into death preserves life for many and brings blessing to the nations. We see him as the new and better Moses, the one who writes the law of God, not on tablets of stone, but with his own finger on our hearts. We see him as the Passover lamb who was slain and by his blood protects us, delivers us from the judgment of God. We see him as the conquering warrior who rescues his people from slavery to Satan, sin, and death with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. We see him 
as the tabernacle of God, the temple in whom the fullness of God's glory dwells. We see him as the great high priest, the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. We see him as the perfect sacrifice who propitiates the wrath of God and has taken away our sin. We see him as the scapegoat who carried our sins far away. He is the new and better Joshua who leads us into God's promised land. He is the promised son of David who will forever Forever reign and is seated on the throne. He is Isaiah's suffering servant who was pierced for our transgressions. He is Ezekiel's new temple, the one from whom living waters flow. He is the son of man in the book of Daniel who walks up to the ancient of days and receives all authority. We see him as the baby in the manger who rules over the world, who is God with us, Emmanuel, the one come to save his people from their sins. We see him as the word made flesh, living among us. He is the bread of life and the fountain of living waters and the resurrection and the life who calls Lazarus out of the grave with three words. We see him crucified, suffering, pouring out his blood under the judgment of God for sinners like you and me, defeating death, rising again in glory, bursting forth from the tomb, glorious, ascending into heaven, seated at the right hand of God, even now reigning, ruling over all our suffering, over all our circumstances, ruling as Lord over his people, the church, ruling as Lord over this world, and one day he will have all rule and authority, and he will be all in all. We see him stand amidst the lampstands, which are the local churches in the book of Revelation, with seven stars in his hand, we see him coming again with eyes of flaming fire, riding on a white horse to bring salvation to those who love him and judgment upon his enemies. We see him as the Lion of Judah, as the slaughtered Lamb of God, around whom people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be assembled, singing for all eternity, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, and we will be transfixed as our eyes gaze upon His glory forever and ever, and we are transformed by that glory. The new Jerusalem, the new creation will have no need of a son, because the Lord, the Lamb, the light, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God Himself, and we will behold Him face to face, forever. But today, we see him in the preaching of his word. Do you see, brothers and sisters? Do you see?